Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. Welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. I'm Michael Bentley, and I'm here with Cayman McMahon. Hey, hey. And as always, our producer, Colin Moore. Hello. So yeah, this is uh, this is it for season two of I Really Wish You Hadn't. Uh, we've decided that the best thing for us is probably to do two 10-episode seasons. So we're making this one 11. This one's going to be 11. The I'm next so one's going to be 9. But after that, it's going to be 10 and 10. Colin is very upset about it. He likes symmetry. The next one's going to end up being like 13 or something. No. Look, we're nine. shooting for 10. We're, we're benchmarking 10. Uh, then a six-week break. So that gives us a six-week six break for the summer. A six-week break for uh, the holiday season. So that's our new schedule. So... Yeah, this is kind of the last episode for a little bit. We'll be back in August in, at some point. I probably should have looked it up when we're going to be back, but um, yeah. six six weeks from now. Well, so, also, I mean, like, if if you're not cool with that and you want us to be recording, like, more episodes and putting out more content, pay us. Pay yeah. us money. Oh, yeah, yeah that would be good. We are, we, we are bribable. We'll quit our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so we're we're closing this one out with an I'm really glad you did. Cayman, do you want to go ahead and get us started? Yeah, I will get us started. So this one, I'm going to be doing Julia Child. So in the fall of 1912 in Pasadena, which, you know, is in California, a daughter named... I, I'm going to be 100% honest. I, I thought it was in Texas. It sounds like it could be in Texas. Texas I, yeah. and California are just like... Um, they're kind I feel of like similar. They're, they're kind of similar. Just with very different demographics. Yes, we'll say demographics. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the fall of 1912, Pasadena, California, a daughter named Julia Carolyn McWilliams was born to an early California land investor. So, you know, money. So, at and, this time, uh, Julia was a child? Yes. <laughs> and uh, paper company heiress. So Julia would become the oldest of three children and grew up not wanting for much and living a very privileged lifestyle. For instance, they didn't like clean up after themselves. Or I'm I'm not saying that like this like they're gross. Like they had live-in nannies, they had like live-in chefs, that sort of thing. Okay, cuz yeah, originally I was just thinking, you know, a hoarder's situation. No, no, no. <laughs> From what I can tell, Julia Child was not a hoarder. I don't know that for a fact though. So, Julia was enrolled at private boarding schools growing up. Towering 6'2", she was very involved in school sports, including golf, tennis, hunting, that sort of stuff. Hunting was a sport? I mean, if we're calling golf a sport, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think of, like, marksmanship. Like, that's that's a sport. Well, hunting's just the target moves, so it's still marksmanship. <laughs> I guess. I guess so. But I, I don't know. I've just never heard of hunting as a sport. To be fair... When I read that, it said small game hunting, and I was like, does that really matter? Like, is it is it better to kill small things than big things? Wait, what year is this? This is, like, the 1920s. Okay. I mean, it might be one of those things where it's like, well, a woman cannot kill a big animal. We will let them kill squirrels and rabbits. <laughs> you know, the things that can that can be killed by females. Right. Right. I bring this up because my topic also leans heavily into that. <laughs> 
So yes, yeah, so she was very involved in sports, that sort of thing. In 1930, uh, Juliet enrolled at Smith College all the way across the country. And in, in, I hate this state because I cannot pronounce it. Mas- Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Ma- Massachusetts. Massachusetts. You know, that state where Boston is, and we may as well just call Boston. it Boston State. That might be a college. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. All right, we'll call it Boston State State. And we'll call the state Boston State. <laughs> <laughs> the state of Boston State. So Julia had aspirations of becoming a writer. Unfortunately for her, it appeared that she didn't really have a knack for writing. Despite frequently sending unsolicited works to the New Yorker, none of her publications from this time were ever published. So I'm not actually sure if you can call that a publication. But after graduation, she got a job in advertising and then she was actually fired from that job. The American dream. Writing might not be her strong suit. But, you know, the 1940s were coming, and by 1941, World War II had kicked off. I f- feel like half of our episodes have this point in the episode. Yeah, we should just say, and then 1941. <laughs> and then World War II. Uh, so Julia, of course, was eager to join the war effort. Unfortunately for Julia, her height made her ineligible for both the Army and the Navy. Wait, and she was too tall? She was too tall. She wow. was 6'2". Yeah. Yeah. So instead, she found a position at the Office of Strategic Services, which is called the OSS, or was called the OSS. And if you haven't heard of the OSS before, they were like a wartime intelligence agency that was the predecessor to the CIA. Pretty yeah, damn cool. Uh, when they yeah. kick you out of school for fighting, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually done with the podcast. I don't, I'm not coming back for season three. No, I'm kidding. Oh, good. Well, Cayman, we actually wanted to talk to you about that. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) While in the OSS, Julia was responsible for transporting top secret documents and working as a research assistant in developing shark repellent, Um, Um, which she did do. She developed shark repellent, you know, like Batman has. Yeah, that's That's a real thing. I can't tell if you're doing a bit. No, she developed shark repellent. Wow. And she joked for the rest of her life that her first recipe, like her first cooking recipe, was shark repellent. But I actually looked this up because I was like, that sounds ridiculous. Why Why would the OSS need shark repellent? Apparently, all the like mines that they put in the ocean for submarines, mm-hmm. like sharks would swim up to them and bump into them. And like there was a chance they could blow up the entire thing. So they had to put shark repellent on them so that they wouldn't go bump the mines that were meant for the submarines. They were bombing sharks they're bombing sharks oh my god finding nemo (laughs) that literally happens in finding nemo (laughs) you're right it does and that's one of two pixar movies i'm going to be referencing in this story oh wow so initially her service had her station in dc uh, but then she moved to sri lanka and then china so you know all over the world super awesome experience especially this early in her life And her time in the OSS was marked by her drive and cheeriness. Perhaps the most life-changing event Julia experienced during this time was when she met fellow OSS employee Paul Cushing Child. Now, Paul Child was a very cultured man who had previously taught photography, English, and French in the U.S. and in Europe, along with some judo. Paul and Julia were soon smitten with each other, and the two married after the war on September 1st, 1946. I like to to imagine he offered, like, bundled services. Like, yeah, we're going to take some pictures, you're going to learn some (laughs) French, then we're going to do some fighting. Dude, well, I mean, he did work for the OSS, so this seems like something that would be right up here. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, those are probably the skills you need. Yeah. Here's how to take a picture of a foreign dignitary cheating on his wife. 
<laughs> and then here's how to talk to his wife and then kick his ass. <laughs> <laughs> so after their time with the OSS, Paul got a job with the United States Foreign Service and was assigned to live in Paris. And of course, you know, he took his wife, Julia. It was in Paris that Paul introduced Julia to French cuisine. At a restaurant called La Caronne en Rouen, Julia enjoyed a meal of oysters, solmoniere, and fine wine that she would later describe as an opening of the soul and spirit for me. By 1951, despite never really cooking a meal for herself in her life, because remember, she used to be pretty wealthy, Julia Child had graduated from the world-famous Cordon Bleu Cooking School, which she was the only female in her class, and then shortly after opened an informal cooking school named La École de Trois Gourmands, uh, which means the School of Three Gourmands. Once again, I don't speak French, so I'm sure I butchered it. Don't at me. Also, I thought it'd be the three something. What is a gourmand? Uh, three gourmands. So they're like food lovers. The reason that it was called that is because she opened this place with a fellow Cordon Bleu student, Simone Beck, and Louisiette Berthel. The goal of the school was to bring fine French cuisine to the homes of Americans. In 1961, the trio published their first book titled Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Can I, can I guess what the next Pixar movie you're going to reference is? Is it no. Suprat? It's Suprat. It's, it's definitely yes. Suprat. And Suprat is Ratatouille for those at home. Right. So both in part to the quality of the book and the growing American interest in French culture, the book was a phenomenal success and a best-selling cookbook for five years after its publication. And I will say on Ratatouille, like as I was reading about Julia Child and then I watched some of her clips too, like What's what's the name of the chef? Gusto. Gusto. Gusto is definitely somewhat based off Julia Child, like loosely. Um, except I don't think Julia Child ever had a restaurant. Maybe she did, but yeah, a lot of those like writing books and educational stuff. Yeah, anyone can cook. In 1962, Julia was invited onto a book review show on national education television, or NET, and this was hosted on a Boston station called WGBH. Now, Net would go on to become PBS, so let's keep that in mind. During Julia's interview, she gave a short demonstration of how to make an omelet. This single segment was so successful that by the following year, Julia Child had her own cooking show called The French Chef on WGBH. Hold on, so you're telling me that literally just being able to make an omelet was enough to qualify you to get your own cooking show back then? Yes, before Julia Child, all Americans ate was gruel and processed cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. They saw her cook an with omelet, eggs and they're but, like, But you're Whoa. telling me like an omelet was like high cuisine. Well, one, it was like a, like, I guess a different way to make eggs than people were used to. Uh-huh. But also part of it was like how charming Julia Child was. Okay. It wasn't so she like, was the Martha Stewart of her time. Yeah, well, and that's she wasn't really like a showman or anything like that. But if you go back and watch her, she's just like super genuine with everything. She's like making things and she's like, let's go over to my squeaky oven. And then she squeaks it a few times. And yeah. she's like, but yeah, the, the she's like the Mr. Rogers of cooking. She's the Bob Ross of cooking. Okay, that, really. that that's a better analogy, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I see that. I can, yeah. I can get that. So, as the next decade went by, the show would be a huge success, winning a Peabody and a few Emmys, 
Also, it's important to point out that this was the first widely available and produced cooking show. There had been other people cooking on TV before, but not in this format, not this readily available. This was the first, as we know it today, cooking show. Uh, The nation fell in love with Julia Child's upbeat personality and down-to-earth way of presenting. Julia would continue to publish cooking books based on the show and to great success. By the 1970s, she was a household name in the United States. Julia would go on after the French chef to new cooking shows over the following decades. In 1981, she founded the American Institute of Wine and Food. The goal of this institute was to advance the understanding and appreciation of quality wine and food in the U.S. In 1989, she published her most complete work, a collection of books and tapes titled The Way to Cook. I mean, straight up. What's the name of the book from? Anyone Can Cook. Anyone can cook, yeah. So in 1995, Julia and the Ratner Hat established the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and Culinary Arts, which to this day continues with Julia's life work of promoting cooking culture in the States worth celebrating. In 2001, Julia officially retired and passed away in 2004 at 91 years old, but not without a lifetime of accomplishments. To name a few of her accolades, she received the French Legion of Honor in 2000, was elected a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences that same year. She was awarded the U.S. Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2003. She also received honorary doctorates from Harvard, Johnson and Wales University, Smith College, Brown University, and several other universities. So she was a doctor like 50 times over. And in 2007, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. Wait, hold on, hold on. The Women's Hall of Fame. Say that again. What was it about the Women's The National Hall of Fame? Women's Hall of Fame. She was inducted. That's funny because in my afternoons, I talk about my, my person's induction into the National Women's Hall of Fame. This is really a girl power episode, and we did not intend for it to be. It really is, and we didn't plan it. Like, we do not talk about our... We never plan for these. Yeah, no. We, it's just like we come with our episodes, and that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond these achievements, Julia's greatest feat was the impact she had on the culinary world. And most importantly, probably, the generations of chefs she inspired. So next time you're having a tasty meal from a food truck or restaurant, watching the Food Network, or even just the next time you make a fancy meal at home, remember Julia Child. And see, Cayman, you, you, this is an I'm really glad you did, and I, I get that you're like proud of her and everything, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a deep callback, and I'm going to throw in the Alex Jones voice. Mm-hmm. So what you're t- telling me, Cayman, is uh, we had an operative of the CIA come in and tell us uh, that the French cuisine was the way to eat food, turning us into a more globalized society. Are are you recommending that we go back to eating gruel and processed cheese for every meal? I'm just saying when we did that, we were more American. (laughs) We were more American when we were dying at 30 from heart cloggage. You you suggest that we're not dying now at 30 of heart cloggage. But anyway, great story. I actually, I, I did not know who Julia Child was. Yeah, she seems like a neat lady. Honestly, like, it is it is like Bob Ross, but it's cooking. I mean, yeah. she's she's definitely got a different personality, but she's she's someone very cool. But it's funny because one of the big controversies of her life, because, you know, every time that we talk about someone, I have to look up the controversies to make sure, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm really glad you did on a... Yeah, they weren't an awful person before you're like, man, <laughs> right. she was awesome. Loved her. Uh, but when, apparently one of the big controversies was like, you know, like in the like 90s and 2000s when people started being more health conscious Mm -hmm. they were like well julia child you use a lot of butter aren't you afraid that's gonna like kill people and she was like 
I'm pretty sure that people should just be happy with their lives. Nice. <laughs> She's like, we're supposed to enjoy food, not be terrified of it. I mean, she lived to 91, so obviously she doesn't do anything wrong. Right, yeah. And, like, she was 6'2". I'm pretty sure tall people die sooner. I, I think, I think like, extremely tall people die sooner. Like me. What, because you're 6'2 and a half? <laughs> yeah. Extremely tall. <laughs> Sorry, Cayman, you're going to die soon. <laughs> I'm going to die weeks before you guys. Okay. Well, yeah, that was cool. Thanks, <laughs> That Cayman. was Julia Child. That was Julia Child. All right, continuing on the theme of girl power, Michael, go. So, yeah, I'm doing Annie Oakley. Is that the girl from the Wendy's sign logo? No, we've actually That's talked Wendy. about her already on the podcast. I would refer you back to the uh, Fast Food Controversies <laughs> episode where I actually talk about the girl from the Wendy sign. I don't listen to our podcast. I don't either. <laughs> I don't know who does. Um, so the story of Annie Oakley starts as many great stories do with just how creepy marriage was back in the day. So Annie Mosey was born to parents who were married when her mother was 18 and her father was 49. But that's actually less creepy than I thought you were going to go with it. I know it's like she, she's technically legal, bro. But like she's <laughs> 18 and he's 49. Like, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. That's weird. That is so weird. But to be fair, we also had that happen like in modern times from my high school. Ooh. Where girls would like turn 18 and then immediately marry an older man that they were obviously seeing beforehand. Well, okay, Sometimes but here's the thing coaches. is like, was he rich? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. I tried not to pay attention to people. But but I feel like most of that stuff, it's like normally like, oh, yeah, I married him because he's got a ton of money. But like this guy literally like so he was in the War of 1812 mm -hmm. and he was an invalid, which I had to look up what that means. And it's kind of just a general term for they're sickly or they're injured or so we don't yeah. really know what her dad like was injured with, but he still managed to like convince an 18 year old well and not even convince an 18 year old probably convince an 18 year old's parents to be like hey she should marry me i mean how old was he 49 49 that's yeah that's a 30 year age difference but i don't know like hugh jackman i think is like 50 you're gonna tell me you're not gonna go on a date with hugh jackman you tell me a high school girl i, I, I would hugh be Jackman's too old cute. for hugh jackman you would be too old for hugh jackman yeah no i'm saying I'm but like <laughs> i'm saying but like if you were a high school girl. Imagine yep. that for a moment. Put okay. yourself in right. shoes. I put myself. I've put myself in that position. Yep. Tom Cruise. Yep. You got. You got Hugh Hugh Jackman. Like there's yep. there's a track. What, what I'm saying is there's attractive guys that are like 50. Being 49 doesn't mean that like someone can't be attracted to you. Yeah, but imagine all of those guys are invalid. Like, well, also we don't know the severity of the invalid. He could just be missing a toe. Part of the allure is that they're like, yeah, is that they're super wealthy. They have a ton of money and like you're going to you're going to go live the life of luxury. This guy had like been injured in war and was like, look, I want to marry an 18 year old. John Hamm just turned 60. No, he didn't. Uh, John Hamm is 60. <laughs> no, he's not. I OK, I was about to is. say, he's my God, 60. he is looking damn good for 60. <laughs> OK, but anyway, <laughs> we're talking about Annie Oakley here. All right. These are her. I parents. think I'd rather talk about John Hamm. Can we? I would also like to talk about John Hamm, but that'll be for a different episode. Yeah, he will be. Uh, the I'm really he's glad 50. you did is you're John Hamm. He's 50. Um, He's 50. He's 50 That's years still old. Impressive. Yeah. 50. Years wow. Old. See, 49 is not that big a deal. 
You can be sexy at 49. Maybe he was a really <laughs> sexy invalid. Okay, we'll imagine that her father looks exactly like John Hamm, and then okay. it makes total sense. Yep, we're good. Right. Okay. So Still weird that he married a girl, but Still yeah. weird. You know, if John Hamm wanted to date an 18-year-old, I'd be like, eh, it's a little creepy, but you're John Hamm, so, you know, I mean, you can kind of do whatever you want. You can't. <laughs> um, you were on Mad Men. You have a suit in the Smithsonian, so like... Oh, they were so mad. They were so... The, uh, the whole show, they were just like, God, I'm so mad. They were just a bunch of men in a boardroom <laughs> being mad. Had nothing to do with Madison Avenue. I haven't seen it, but it sounds great. Oh, it's a great show. <laughs> <laughs> so, Annie Oakley, you guys remember her? I mentioned her like a couple... Like maybe... 45 minutes ago, you remember? Yes. Um, so Annie Oakley was raised alongside six other siblings on a rented farm in rural Ohio. Wow. So basically what I'm trying to say is she's what we call poor. So they were eating gruel and processed cheese. Yes, they were eating gruel and processed cheese. So this is back in like the late 1700s. Yeah, before Julia Child's 1800s. Yes, I'm it would sorry. Be the this late is 1800s in the late sure. 1800s. Yeah. Um. So yes, this is before Julia Child. This is this is definitely they're eating gruel and processed cheese. <laughs> the American staple. The, the American dream, and to make matters worse, Annie's father John Ham caught a bad case of hypothermia <laughs> due to a blizzard when Annie was only five years old, and he died a, a year later. So this put a huge financial strain on the family. And Annie's mother had to send her away at the age of nine to work at the estate of a family taking care of their infant son. Right. This was in exchange for a meager sum of money being sent back to the Moseys every week and a chance at an education for Annie. Uh, I think that this is a good idea, too, because who who is more qualified and better to watch your children than a child? You know what came in? That is actually the next sentence in my notes. Is like, uh, this is how I know children used to be expected to grow up much faster. Because imagine hiring a nine-year-old to take care of your infant son. Well, I mean, this is the same thing we talked about in Josephine Baker. She did the same thing. Yeah, I don't, it's like, I don't get it. What are they going to do? They just got done being babies. What do you mean? They can change diapers and stuff. That'll be fine. That's all you have to do with a baby, right? Imagine no, okay. going to drop your dog off at a kennel, and there's just like one really responsible dog. It's like dog an old dog. <laughs> yeah. with, it's, like, it's like the uh, like the golden retriever that has like the gray hair. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. Like, I'm I feel good. like I, I feel like dog. if there was a dog that was a babysitter, line. it would definitely be a Saint Bernard. <laughs> the Saint Bernard, <laughs> would it, be it, a but it has to have the mini keg underneath its neck. Right. So you know it's it's responsible. <laughs> right. what? No, that dog has, has a job. No, what are you talking about? He gets a paycheck. He's going to have a kegger with your dog. Perfect. No, because if he has it, then he's responsible. He has a job. Right. He's taking care of something. Seeing eye dogs. You know they're responsible. But, well, just put a vest on the dog. You can put a vest on any dog, and that's a dog with a job. That doesn't make them a, see that doesn't make them a responsible dog. <laughs> it makes them a dog with a job. Seeing eye dog ceremonies, they don't train them just by putting a vest on them and say, go at it. Regardless, Annie Oakley. Man, Michael, you keep getting really distracted. Annie Oakley, come on. So, as you can possibly imagine, uh, this family that just, like, took in a nine-year-old girl to take care of their kid wasn't very good to her. She was mentally and physically abused. And for two years, she basically just took it until she found an opportunity to run away. Uh, so she ran away and ran back to her mother. Dude, that's straight up Josephine Baker. 
Yeah, well, but here's the thing is she was like, she like ran away and she got back to her mom. She's like, mom, I made it out. Like, I'm back to you. Like, I'm, I made it. And she's like, I sent you there. What do you think? Like, I, I can't afford <laughs> you. Like, literally, I, I don't, I, you can't be here. Like, yeah. I don't know why you came back here. Like, there's no money for you. You were the money that was coming in. And so her mother shipped her back off to work as a seamstress for another four years. By this point, she was 11. She was now qualified to work as a seamstress. And the seamstress job was a little bit better. She was working for a different family. It was uh, a lot better conditions. Again, she was essentially a sweatshop worker um, making, you know, dresses and, and clothes and whatever else. But, you know, at least she wasn't being abused, like, on a day-to-day -day basis. The golden age of America. Exactly. Back when children were our workforce. Before all those pesky child labor laws. Exactly. <laughs> After those four years are done, Annie's 15 years old. And, you know, she's kind of old enough to be like, look, I'm, I'm going to go back home. I need to be back with my family. So she goes back and says, look, we need to make money somehow. I'm not going to be a seamstress. Uh, I'm going to get daddy's old gun and I'm going to be a hunter and trapper. And her mom is like, you can't use your dad's gun. Like, you're just going to play around with it. You're going to, you know, probably break You'll it. You'll shoot your like, eye out. You'll shoot your eye out. Yeah. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. Uh, but Annie's like, no, I'm going to learn this gun. I'm going to take it out. I'm going to get us. I'm going to get us food. I'm going to get us pelts. We're, we're going to be good. So she goes out, learns the gun front and back. <laughs> she, and she learns the gun. It learns it real good. <laughs> well, so that's the thing is, so so guns at the time aren't like, I mean, you know, you go out and buy a, you know, a pistol, like that is a standard pistol. Whereas at this yeah. time, guns were custom made. So you really do need to learn a weapon. Yeah. Like they aren't standardized. They're not very accurate. Like you need to learn how that gun shoots. So it really is. You've got to learn the weapon. Yeah. And that's exactly what she does. But I mean, she has a knack for it. She, immediately, she's like taken to this to this rifle. Immediately, she's like, I can kill. I'm yeah. a killer. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a killing machine. This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. So then she goes and starts killing squirrels and rabbits, right? What she's allowed to kill? Basically, yeah, exactly. The small game. But I mean, seriously, <laughs> like, that's basically game. what she does is is because those are the pelts. Like, I mean, it's it, it's fairly easy to get to get that kind of. Well, I mean, game. she couldn't shoot like a deer. Right. I mean, it's 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 a basic rifle. I heard boobs would just get in the way. It's too big of an animal. Yeah. <laughs> Obvi obviously sarcasm. Women can shoot whatever they want to. <laughs> That's the takeaway here. What's crazy is within the year, she was one of the most successful hunters, providing enough game and pelts for her entire community to the point that they started exporting to the nearby city of Cincinnati. Annie was able to use the funds that she made to pay off her family's farm with her earnings at the age of 15. Like, literally within the year. She hadn't even turned 16 yet. She's already making enough money to pay off her family's farm. I just imagine the next town over is, like, looking at that town exporting all their pelts. And it's like, we need to get us one of those little girls that shoots guns. <laughs> Where do we find one of them? Yeah, they just start training up. All well, no, that's the thing, though. Is like, even still, they're like, it's got to be a trick. There's no way a woman could do all that. <laughs> so we should also talk about the fact that at the time, marksmanship was a national sport. Like people would travel to see renowned marksmen at their craft. Davy Crockett. Maybe. I don't know. Was he was he a good marksman? Yeah, he was a sharp. Yeah, he was a marksman. Would he like travel around and like do shows and stuff? He'd do turkey shoots. Okay. Well, and then, he'd yeah. get like he'd like sure. clean out the place of turkeys. 
Davy Crockett Which, then. Yeah. And yeah, a big thing was people would bet, right? Like a sharpshooter would come into town and say, I can outshoot anybody in this town. Like I'll put a, I'll put a certain amount of money down. And if anybody can outshoot me, like I'll give them, the, you know, it's a bet. Back when people just had too much time on their hands. Well, back when people were starving for any form of entertainment. Right. That's fair. So it just so happened that one of the best shots in the region uh, was coming into town. A man named Frank Butler. And he arrived in Cincinnati betting $100 that he could outshoot anybody that wanted to take him on. And it just so happened that the owner of the local hotel was like, I know the girl that keeps selling me, you know, pelts and game. She's really, really good at what she does. He's like, I'll put $100 down uh, on somebody who can outshoot you. Wait, this is in Cincinnati. This is in Cincinnati, yeah. So they really were starved for entertainment. Yes, 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 yes. And it it continues to this day. Good God. Yep. (laughs) Also, it was a huge, like, Quaker population. So, I mean, they couldn't even drink. Like, there was no form of entertainment. I think the Quakers can drink. I think we said they we weren't sure if they could on the Nixon episode. I'm fairly certain they can drink. Oh, they can? Okay. I don't know. I didn't do it. I don't know. The Quakers So, are... Annie Oakley was a Quaker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fun. Like Nixon. She's pretty much Nixon. Yeah, she's basically Nixon. It's <laughs> basically the same person. Yeah. So anyway, out of the crowd, the local hotel owner walks out with a hundred dollars and this fifteen-year-old girl. Like she's she's five feet tall. That's, that's as tall as she ever gets in her entire life. So she couldn't be, you know, she's maybe not even that tall by this point. Yeah. And so this renowned sharpshooter looks at this girl and is like, "This is seriously who you're bringing? I mean, I'll take your hundred dollars. Yeah. Like if that's if that's what you're trying to do, <laughs> by all means, let's do this. So the two took turns shooting birds. And for 24 rounds, neither one missed a shot. That was until the 25th round when Frank Butler made his first mistake and missed. Or he either missed or he shot the bird, but it fell outside of, like, the boundary. Apparently, like, with shooting, you have to shoot before it reaches a certain point. Because these are actual birds that they're, like, I don't know if they're releasing or what. But anyway, so it's unclear what exactly the mistake was. But anyway, he, he, he missed on the 25th round. And Annie Oakley steps up and she has the opportunity to just embarrass this guy. And she does exactly that. I mean, the bird goes up, she shoots it, it lands and she wins the competition. Right. Now, in most stories, Frank Butler would be livid about being bested by a 15 year old girl. But instead, he was completely smitten. Uh, He invited Annie to his next show and they were married soon after. Oh, that was the smitten that was hoping that you weren't saying. How old was Fred Butler? That is a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I should have looked that up after criticizing their parents. I'm not even sure I want to know. I'm just going to assume 78. Uh, nah, he might be <laughs> no, 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 no. He wasn't, he wasn't that old. He was not born in 1840. Ooh, he might have been pretty old. No, he was only 13 years older, so he was 28. Okay. Yeah, that's but, not that's not the worst, but it's still kind of weird. Not the worst, not the best. Uh, but I feel like the height thing might have worked out to our advantage because, as we know, the lower you are to the ground, stable. Yeah. Firm. <laughs> it's hard to knock over a short person. Go try right. it. Tall people, push. you can push them over all day. Short people, kind of hard. And that yeah. stability with the gun? That's, that's what, what it was. On that 25th round, a, a strong gust of wind came over. Frank <laughs> Butler started wobbling. Right. Eddie Oakley. Solid as a rock. (laughs) Never fell over once in her life. So anyway, Annie Oakley and Frank Butler are now married. She's now Frank, or she's now Annie Butler. 
or, uh, she called herself Mrs. Frank Butler, which is, you know, a oh, relic gross. of the 1800s. I know. So anyway, at the time, Butler was traveling and performing with a man named John Graham. While Annie would kind of just travel along with them and stay behind the scenes, getting them whatever they needed, she was kind of like the assistant of the show. Oh, you know that the best shot we have here? Well, assistant. we wouldn't no, that was a fluke, like, come be a part of the show. That was a fluke. She just happened to win. Oh, yeah. And then she never shot a gun in front of her husband again. <laughs> she actually did, but we'll, we're, we're getting there like, right. in the next two minutes. So he's traveling with a man named John Graham. One day, Graham got sick, and Annie filled in for him, holding the targets for her husband to shoot. So John Graham's job was he went out and held the targets, because, you know, if a person's holding the target, it makes a sharpshooter a lot more impressive, because if they miss... That's fair. Somebody's getting shot. You've shot your buddy. Yeah. And again, like, there's one thing if you shoot your buddy. There's another thing if you shoot your wife. Actually, I feel like that's probably more... Acceptable? Well, no, I just feel like that probably happens more. Exactly. In the late 1800s, they're like, ah, you shot your wife. No, I mean, even today. Happen. Even today, I feel like you're more likely to shoot your wife than you are to shoot one of your buddies. That's fair. I'm too. not saying you should, uh, but I'm that's, saying that, that probably. That feels primier when we talk about today. But anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, Annie's out there holding the targets for her husband to shoot. And for whatever reason, and I'm assuming it's because he's like, if I screw up, I'm going to shoot my wife, who I love very dearly. Because, again, I will say Frank is a very, very loving husband, which you will come to understand as part of the story. Oh, what a loser. I know. So Loves anyway, I, wife. I think that he honestly was like, I do not want to hurt my wife. So he keeps missing his shots and the crowd gets like upset at him. And they're like, you know, we came to see a sharpshooter. You're not hitting anything. And then some, some heckler from the crowd goes, let the woman shoot. She's better than you are. So he's like, <laughs> uh, you know. She yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he hands he hands the rifle over. And Annie didn't miss a single shot that day. No, okay. I mm, I'm going to say that they planned that. You think so? I'm going to say that they planned that for sure because imagine how wild the crowd probably was. Oh god, I know. Well, that's the thing is like I bet the heckler was a plant and everything and they were like messing it up. I don't think it was a plant only because I think it's too convenient that Graham was sick that day. You know? Like, I don't think they planned it because she wasn't part of the show. Exactly. Maybe Graham wasn't too privy to it. I'm saying that him and her, and they planted somebody to be like, let the woman shoot. Because, like, I would go wild. Yeah. I would go wild. Because that's the thing, is women didn't shoot at the time. So, like, yeah. Yeah, no, I would say that was probably the best show they ever had. That would probably be like going to, like, a slam dunk competition, and then, like, some five-year-old kid walks out. <laughs> some guy from the crowd, just like, yeah, just, like, yeah. slam. Yeah, I, I can see that. Maybe. Because yeah. here's the thing, is take everything that I say in this in this episode with a grain of salt, because Annie Oakley's legend is hard to pick apart. Because, as we'll get into later... There are a lot of stories written about Annie Oakley that are specifically to boost her renown within the world. Are you saying um, she didn't chop down that cherry tree? She didn't chop down the cherry tree. Wow. I know. This country's a lie. This country's built on lies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't understand metaphors. So anyway, John Graham lost his job that day, and Annie took up the stage name of Annie Oakley to divert the fact that they were husband and wife. They fired him? Yeah, they fired John Graham. <laughs> they are like, you were sick, and we got something better. They were like, oh, you're sick? We can't pay your sick leave, buddy. Dude, that's why you need some job security. Exactly. This is why you need to unionize. 
<laughs> so I don't really know why it was a big deal that she say that they're not husband and wife, uh, but it might have something to do with the fact that most traveling acts that involved women at the time were highly risque. Have you ever uh, heard the White Stripes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 they said, said that they weren't married. They said they were brother and, brother sister. and sister. I don't know yeah. why. I don't know I don't why know. they thought that was cool. It just makes everything weird. Yeah. But um, that still happens, you know? <laughs> yeah. But the more things change, the more they stay the same. The, well, I'd say at that point, they wanted it to be more risque. Where at this point, you know, she's a Quaker and she wants to say like, look, I'm, I'm not like other girls that are in traveling shows. She didn't want people to assume that she was like going to take her clothes off or like, you know, anything like that. So using her background as a seamstress, she actually made herself a uniform that had like long sleeves, a long skirt. Like she always wore like boots like she was she was like, look, I'm I'm a woman, but I'm not like I'm not here for you to ogle. Right. Right. So Annie got a lot of popularity and soon Frank Butler realized that it was Annie that people were coming to see. No one cared about Frank Butler anymore. And again, in a worse episode where this was an I really wish you hadn't, this would be Frank Butler going like, I'm the star of the show. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. But instead he was like, we're making a ton of money and like people love you. It seems like this dude's very business minded. He's business minded, but I think he honestly loved Annie Oakley. Like, I think that he had a genuine love for his wife, which is surprising for someone in the 1800s. It's surprising for anyone in any of the stories that we tell, honestly. That's true. That is true. But, you know, he came to realize that, like, sharpshooters are a dime a dozen, but a woman who can shoot a gun? Like, that's that's what people are coming to see. So instead, Frank Butler takes the role of his wife's assistant in the show, and he comes becomes more of her manager. Like, again, I mean, you know, this is the late 1800s. He's like, you know, most people aren't going to give you the time of day to, like, talk business. He's like, let me handle that. You come out and do the shooting, and I'll hold the targets. Right. So they're a team. Like, I mean, they're a two-man team, you know, through their entire lives, which we'll, we'll come to talk about. But just to talk about Annie's marksmanship, it is... Truly amazing. I honestly think that even if she performed today, like, people would be astounded. Yeah. She could snuff out a candle without damaging the candle. She could shoot the heart out of an ace card. Split a card in half when held sideways. Well, okay, but how far away was she standing from all these things? I don't know. Because that really changes it. It does. It does change (laughs) things. But, 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 I mean, come come to realize that, like, again, like we talked about... Guns are guns are not nearly as accurate at that time as they are today. Right, but even looking up sharpshooters now, they can do some crazy stuff. They like can do the some guy, crazy stuff. He throws like a handful of Altoids in the air, and he'll like shoot them out of the air before they hit the well, ground. Well, so she it's did crazy. the same trick, but with dimes. Oh, of course she did. That's fair. I mean, change is pretty much useless. Well, more so now than back then. Yeah, dimes were a lot more useful at the time. I just throw it all away. I just put it in the trash. But my favorite trick that she did is she would hold a rifle backwards. She would put the barrel on her shoulder and she would hit a target using a hand mirror to aim her shot. That's wild. Right? With her husband holding it. That's wild. I want to try that. (laughs) Okay, I'm not holding the targets, though. It's not going to work out. (laughs) So the pair would travel in various circus performances and like traveling shows for about 10 years, always making a decent living. But that was until the duo landed a role in Buffalo Bill's Wild West. Now, Buffalo Bill's Wild West is one of those things that makes total sense, but it's just kind of surprising to know that it existed. 
You see, basically a bunch of prominent Wild West figures of the time decided that their era was coming to an end, and industrialization would shift people's attention elsewhere. Right. And so instead of selling the stories of the West, they decided they needed to bring the West to the cities. And this is all on the back of Buffalo Bill, who's like one of the like prominent Wild West figures of the time. Oh, yeah. Um, the show featured the likes of Buffalo Bill, obviously, but also Wild Bill Hickok, Texas Jack Amahundro, and surprisingly, Sitting Bull and Geronimo. Like Sitting I mean, they- Bull. It, that's actually very neat because I almost did General Custer's Last Stand for this yeah. episode. And General yeah. Sitting Bull is, is very neat. And so is Geronimo. Yeah. They're cool. We're definitely going to have to do them in an episode at some point. So what's whole- funny is they actually did a reenactment of General Custer's last stand as part of the show with sitting bull, the actual sitting bull. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I I'd say it's like more of a reenactment than like a, a circus show. They had a rodeo segment, you know, the full, like, you know, they had the Cowboys and Indians thing. They, they would do like a reenacted battle. Yeah. Probably very problematic in 2021, but at the time, probably the best entertainment you could get in the entire country. Oh Yeah. So, despite all the excitement in Buffalo Bill's show, Annie Oakley quickly became the star. She ended up being featured on almost all the posters and got top billing. Legends started to be written about her. You know, all the bad guys that she had brought down and bears that she had killed and, you know, train robbery she had stopped and, like, all this stuff. And this was right out of Buffalo Bill's playbook. Because, remember, before this traveling show... Most of them made their money on st- selling their stories, right? So they, right. they built up these huge legends about themselves and then, you know, kind of made money through that. So, you know, he's like, look, Annie Oakley's like, oh, she's the, the biggest outlaw wrestler in the, you know, whatever. So th- th- this was all pretty standard Wild West legend stuff. I'm now realizing that, have you ever read the Shel Silverstein book, Life Cardio? No. Well, it's about this tiger that can shoot a gun. But oh. I'm now realizing that the entire thing is just Annie Oakley's story, but he changed Annie Oakley into a, to no, a, a lion, a lion, not a, a tiger. lion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So basically, like every and that's why I say take a lot of the story with a grain of salt. I, again, I, I believe that most of this is true. Like I, I did my due diligence to make sure that all of this was was verifiable. Um, right. But again, there's so many stories told about Annie Oakley that it's kind of hard to tell what's true and what's false. So Annie Oakley was a fast rising star, uh, and at this point she's about 26 years old, but then Lillian Smith came along. Buffalo Bill had recently hired her as the newer, younger Annie Oakley. Lily was 15 at the time and told others in their troupe that Annie Oakley is done for. So Annie, seeing this as a huge threat, starts telling newspapers that she's younger than she actually is. She's like, oh yeah, no, no, no. I wasn't. I wasn't born then. I was actually born like five years later. I'm. I'm not 26. I'm like 23, 21, something like that. I mean, why don't they just have a shootout? Well, who they cares do. if she's younger? Okay, well, yeah, they do. <laughs> That's how you solve a problem. That's how I still solve my problems. I'm like, hey, let's see who's the better marksman. But again, I mean, it's it's all about the show, right? So so right now she's like, look, we can we can we can afford to have another young woman on the troop. It's fine. It'll be fine. It'll um, be fine. You just gotta let us shoot at each other. Then Lily starts to get equal billing with Annie Oakley, and this includes their trip to London when they go to perform for Queen Victoria. 
That's right. They loaded up horses, buffalo, the whole show on boats and took it over to London to be performed. Oh, those crazy, crazy colonials. Yeah, basically. So, to honor their new international audience, the show was renamed to Buffalo Bill's Wild West and Congress of the Rough Riders of the World. That's too much. You're going to want to cut that name down. Brand recognition, you can't. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still yeah. Buffalo Bill's Wild West. It sounds oddly you would not expect Wild Bill's Wild West show Congress of, Buffalo of the Bills World. Wild West. Buffalo Bill's Wild Bill And Congress West. of Rough Riders of the World. Yes. I, you wouldn't expect that to be a very progressive troop, but it seems like they are. Well, she almost wasn't included in the show. The only reason that she got on the show is they had a sharpshooter, and he w- he was on a boat as it like sank. He was on like a steamboat, and it sank, and they were like... Because <laughs> she auditioned, and they were like, eh, we're going to go with this guy, and then he... We have to bring the girl now. <laughs> they are like, I guess, call her. So is she available? We need to... We need- the show must go on. Was Sitting Bull and Geronimo still with them? So Sitting Bull is actually, uh, oh, when they went over, I know they had Indians with them. I don't know if Sitting Bull and Geronimo went, though. And what's funny is Annie Oakley is actually the reason Sitting Bull joined that show, because he came to see her perform, and, like, he was like, hey, I have to meet you, like, I have to talk to you, and he actually, like, yeah, basically said, like, I want to adopt you as my daughter. Like, he, he gave her, like, an Indian title. He did adopt her. As his daughter, didn't he? Like, I mean, like, well, in like a and yeah, he just said, marriage. like, oh, you're going to be my daughter. Like, and I will her, say like, little sure shot was her name <laughs> as like her Indian name. I can't remember what the actual yeah. like title was, but dude, we, we definitely have to cover Sitting Bull at some point. He's such cool. an interesting character. And I will say Michael did say Indians later. I know there's some problematic stuff with that. Actually, some, some natives prefer to be called it's weird yeah so i've chosen because i i I went over like what i was gonna say i i think indians is the correct term well to be fair natives typically don't call themselves natives or indians or anything they call themselves by what they're from what i understand they call themselves from what their tribe or nation is called like right they say i'm cherokee or i'm lakota but I think as a general term, Indian is the correct term because Native Americans can refer to, you know, natives from South America or, na- you know. Um, yeah, it's tricky. Sitting Bull was Lakota. So, OK, <laughs> but regardless, Lakota. people get what we're saying. I'm just I'm pointing it out so no one gets upset. Regardless, I'm going to use the word Indian. I don't use it in, in a way I use it out of ignorance. If it's not the word I'm supposed to use, please write into the show and tell me what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> right. I, I'm not trying to be um, reductive. <laughs> right. Anyway, moving past that, that little bit of problematic. Uh, they're now in London performing for Queen Victoria. I don't think you ever answered my question, though. Oh, well, Did Geronimo or Sitting Bull go I to London? I said they had Indians traveling with them, but I don't know oh, if that's Sitting right. Bull and Geronimo were there. Yeah. Oh, okay. So... You know, they perform for Queen Victoria. She loves the show. And while there, both Lily and Annie were invited to participate in the Wimbledon shooting competition, which actually predates the Wimbledon tennis competition and is apparently still a thing. It wasn't something they did at the same time. No, no. Wimbledon, before it was known for tennis, was apparently known for for marksmanship. Marksmanship's really neat and yeah. fun. Did you take the marksmanship class at school? No, I didn't. Oh, wait, wait, it was, it was a blast. Marksmanship school. So Lily goes up and basically has a horrible, like, shooting 
I, I guess. I don't, a session? I don't know what the word would be. The Lily sucks. She she does a very bad job. Nice. I know nothing about Lily other than the fact that I, I hate her. Yeah. And I want her to fail. <laughs> She's the villain. Annie's the um, hero of this story. <laughs> so Annie walks up. And so Annie had been primarily using like shotguns and pistols. Like that was kind of her thing that she used in, in, in her shows. Like obviously she had a huge background in, in rifle hunting. But she had kind of moved past that. Right. Whereas Lily was specifically a rifle marksman. And this competition was using rifles. So everyone expected Lily to do better than Annie, you know, just based on the fact that she's more experienced with that weapon. Annie walks up and basically just blows Lily's score out of the water. Like, I'm pretty sure she was the highest scoring woman that year. And after that, Buffalo Bill was also invited. He just decides he's not even going to try. He's like, I I don't... he, he, He was... Buffalo Bill, I think, was very jealous of Annie Oakley. So I think whenever uh, she walked up and scored as high as she did, he was like, I'm not going to walk up there and embarrass myself. Like, yeah. So she 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 blows Lily out of the water, which, you know, causes more distress. And and she kind of embarrasses Buffalo Bill because he's like, I'm not going to go. I'm not even going to try. So newspapers start to speculate about kind of a rift that's growing behind the scenes. They report that Annie has been told to cut out some of her act because it was upstaging Buffalo Bill's act. So again, when I said earlier that like a lesser man would, you know, when I described Frank Butler saying like, oh, you know, I'm not going to be upstaged by a woman, like blah, blah, blah. Like that's Buffalo Bill, basically. (laughs) Like that's basically the feelings that he had. And so a few days later, newspapers report that Annie Oakley is leaving the show. And her only comment on the matter is that the details would be too long to tell. So, I mean, she's not like a, she she didn't come out and be like, oh yeah, they're they're throwing me out, like blah blah blah. She's she's a very reserved person, and I respect her for that because I don't think that I would be that big of a person to be able to do that. So Annie and Frank hop around to a few other shows, but sharpshooters are kind of starting to fall out of favor at this time, right? Especially like the smaller shows, like Buffalo Bill's show is a variety show that has everything you would want. Whereas if you're just like a sharpshooting act, like it's like, eh, you know, we've seen it. Wild Bill was late night before late night. Exactly. (laughs) So two years later, Buffalo Bill comes crawling back. They really needed Annie Oakley for their upcoming Paris exhibition. This was the biggest gig they have ever gotten. Like this was going to be the who's who of Europe is coming to this exhibition. So after negotiations, Annie is back on the billing. Lily Smith has been kicked off of the troupe. And Annie is now the highest paid performer in the show, except Buffalo Bill himself. So the Paris exhibition was performed near the newly constructed Eiffel Tower. Is that the leaning one? No, 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 no. It's the one that looks like a triangle. It's it's the the triangle. The leaning one is from Pizza. Oh, the pyramids from... Oh, yeah. Yeah, the the one. Yeah, with the Pizza Hut right next to him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so she's in front of that. (laughs) Um, and so during this time, Annie gets to meet with, like I said, the who's who of European politics. A Bonaparte, Benedictito. Nope, he was Uh, dead by Napoleon. Bonaparte. (laughs) You had, uh, Sir Augustus, um, Um, Antonio Salvadore. He was in prison. Uh, you had... (laughs) Hitler ruled there for a while, right? He hadn't been born yet. Okay. You had Hitler... (laughs) Again, not bored. You had John Ham. John, John Ham was there. John Ham was just there. older she, than she time. met John Ham. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's well, how mad was he? Sixty years old. He was Very so mad. mad. <laughs> he was so mad. Mm-hmm. 
All right, great. The who's who. So who, anyway, who is the who's who of yeah, Europe at yeah, this came, point? So, so ignore everything Cayman just said. The, in, in actuality, um, <laughs> right. you know, she had already met Queen Victoria when she was in London. In addition, yeah. she got to meet the French president, who, after he saw what she could do, offered her a position in the French army. Did he get uh, his head cut off? Was he uh, one of those probably, French presidents? Yeah. Probably. I think that's how you end your term as French president. I didn't actually look up what his name was, <laughs> but because uh, he was he was there for like two months and then they cut his head off. Yeah. Um, right. So the king of Senegal offered to buy her for one hundred thousand francs to kill lions that were disturbing his villages. Oh. <laughs> Can I buy you? It, it sounds like he's going to hire her. It sounds like he wouldn't still yeah, own I, her. Yeah, I didn't look he, up the details. Like lines. I couldn't really find the details. It did say he offered to buy her. I don't know who he offered that to. If it was her, if it was uh, uh, Buffalo Bill, or if it was her husband, I don't really know. But he did offer to buy her. Where is Senegal? I'm sure it doesn't exist anymore. Where is Senegal? That I don't know either. All right, I'm going to look it up. Uh, Senegal is a country in West Africa. You know, it's still around. It's still around. It's uh, right near um, other countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. There's so many countries in Africa, and I just don't know any other names. South Africa. Okay. Egypt. It's Okay, it's right near the Gambia, Guinea-Bissau, and Mar Mauritania. Okay, cool. I don't know any countries in um, in Africa. I feel bad about it. <laughs> so my personal favorite of the people that Annie Oakley got to meet was Kaiser Wilhelm II, who allowed her to shoot a lit cigarette out of his mouth. Of course he did. Kaiser Wilhelm had no fear. And so my my favorite thing about that story is a few years later, Annie Oakley said, if my aim had just been poorer, I might have been able to avert the Great War. The first Great War. <laughs> yeah, the first Great War. But she didn't know that at the time. Right. But Annie Oakley was was not going to miss any of her shots because I've seen Annie Oakley shoot and it's incredible. And you may be wondering how I've seen Annie Oakley shoot if, you know, as black and white pictures, like, I mean, this late 1800s, like this. Uh, that's because her and Buffalo Bill had become friends with Thomas Edison who invited them over to his house to test out his new invention, which would take basically the first movie. Like, I mean, he invented the first video camera. And so Annie Oakley is actually one of the first movie stars ever. Man, I wonder what poor immigrant Thomas Edison stole that idea from. Who knows? But you get the, <laughs> we'll have you to get do Thomas Edison. Yeah, because, I, I yeah. get it. Thomas Edison's a shit person, but we'll, we'll talk about him at some point. Tom, he stole things. He's a thief. He was a bad man. Yeah. So in 1901, Annie was traveling to another show aboard a train from Charlotte to Virginia. And along the way, the train collided head-on with another locomotive. No one died, but Annie received a spinal injury that required multiple surgeries. And after that, she decided it was time to retire from Buffalo Bill's show for good. Man, it's not even a long train ride. By this point, it was likely that Annie was set for life. Um, but just a year later, she agreed to star in a play written specifically for her. It wasn't about Annie Oakley, necessarily. She just happened to play a sharpshooting heroine that saved the day from bad guys. So she agreed to play in this play, and it released to rave reviews. Like, people loved it. Um, that was the rave. 
Rave reviews. Annie Oakley also made it her life's work to teach women how to use firearms, believing that it was a form of empowerment, and more importantly, it was a way for women to protect themselves. Yeah. When the Spanish-American War broke out, Oakley volunteered to lead an all-female company in the fight against Spain. While her offer was denied, she still had her own inspiration on the war. You see, Theodore Roosevelt was leading a volunteer regiment in the war called the Rough Riders. Yeah. This was named after Buffalo Bill's Wild West and Congress of Rough Riders of the World. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's a good fact. I knew that one. That's, uh... That's neat. I actually didn't know that, so... Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt's, uh... Te- I'll say Teddy Roosevelt's a good story. Well, no, I mean, I knew I knew about the Rough Riders. I just didn't know that he was, uh... He was... That he named it after a Wild West show. Yeah. So now, being in her 40s and having survived a train crash, Annie had decided that the next phase of her life would be as an actress and as an activist for women's rights in owning firearms. And you know what? Let's just kind of live in this moment for a second, because this next sentence is going to take a hard 180 turn. So... Women should have guns. That's lit. Yeah, she's an actress. Like, she survived a train crash. Like, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. There's... Nothing that that makes guys better at shooting guns than women. I don't know why that was ever a stereotype. It's a gun. You hold it up and you pull a trigger. But yeah, cool. Glad she was glad she did the activism. Now, what is this? She gonna do something racist? Then newspapers report that Annie Oakley had been arrested for stealing a pair of men's pants to pay for cocaine. Okay, oh. that's not that bad. I thought it was going to be way worse than that. So she stole... She, she, did she, she stole still a pair of men's pants. Off the guy? Like, was it a guy, was it a guy wearing... <laughs> I doubt it was off the guy. Surely it was at a store. From what I understand, I think she just stole it from, like, a store. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> off the guy, yeah. She somehow managed to get a guy's pants off. And, and then she ran away with him. Like, like, I'm going to go pay for ah, cocaine. Ah, I'm going to go buy cocaine with this. Was cocaine illegal at this point? Uh, I don't know that it was illegal. I think it was like, I don't think it was that, oh, she's going to pay for cocaine. Like, I think it was like, you know, it'd be like if I, if I stole a pair of men's pants to go pay for beer, you know, like that'd still be a story. Right. I'm an alcoholic that steals stuff to like fuel my addiction. I don't know that cocaine was illegal by this point, but. I mean, I still, do you, do you know if she stole the pants from a store or did she steal a, did she steal a man's pants? No, I think she stole it from a store. How would you manage to steal pants from a from a person? Like, I, if oh, stealing <laughs> pants from a person would be easy. You, she's a well, okay. So, Colin, there's birds and bees, right? <laughs> Why? So you just walk up to a guy and you're like, "Let's do it. Take your pants off." No, you steal them in the morning. Oh my god. <laughs> So William Randolph Hearst's newspapers are the first to run the story, and many others follow suit. They describe a woman who had fallen on hard times after her injury and turned to a life of hard drugs to cope. The issue was, um, none of this was true. A woman had been arrested in Chicago for stealing men's pants to pay for cocaine. It just wasn't Annie Oakley. It was actually Lindsay Lohan. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, Michael. I'm kidding. Nice. It was just some woman that when the police arrested her, she was. they were like, what's your name? She's like, I'm Annie Oakley. And they were like, 
Okay, you're coming with us. That's actually how easy it is. I almost got arrested the other day, and then I told the police officer that I was uh, Joe Biden. He just wanted to go. <laughs> it's like, oh, and you're like, I pardon myself. It's like, well, Jesus, all right, I guess you're free to go. Uh, so the real Annie Oakley was absolutely devastated. Her reputation had been dragged through the mud, all because William Randolph Hearst wanted a boost in newspaper sales. And just as a side note, as we've discussed previously... God, I hate that guy. William Randolph Hearst is one of those He's people that the we... Worst. This we is may like or may not episode. ever actually do. I know. We probably will never do him as a topic because he's just going to come up in all the other topics. You're going to understand why he sucks just because of how many things he screwed up. The man um, destroyed journalism. Yeah. Annie Oakley wasn't going to let this happen. Her reputation was her livelihood. And if anyone was going to make up stories about things she didn't actually do, it was going to be her. So she went and shot William Randolph Hearst. <laughs> I wish. Um, instead, she did the responsible thing, and she brought a libel suit against every newspaper that had printed the story. 55 newspapers in total. Oh, wow. The largest libel suit in the history of the country. Wow. At the time, or? At the time, yeah. I'm sure there's okay. been a bigger one by now. Yeah. So, most of the newspapers just went ahead and met her demands and, you know, settled out of court. But one newspaper mogul in particular was not going to let that happen, and that was William Randolph Hearst. The piece of shit. He started sending private investigators to dig up dirt on her, like whatever he could find to like ruin her. Uh, the of problem course. was she had lived her whole life on the road, so there really isn't anything to dig up anywhere. There's really no records of her. She's a nomad. Yeah. Annie went on to win 54 of the 55 suits that she filed, and William Randolph Hearst had to pay her over $25,000, which was close to like $500,000 in today's money. That's crazy. That's half what you get for having an atomic bomb dropped on your head. <laughs> it's true. Overall, however, Oakley had actually lost money after paying for all of her legal fees. That's the thing is this wasn't about money. This was about her reputation. And she made sure that she went to bat to make sure that everyone knew none of the things that were written about her were true. I feel like it would have been more cost and time effective to shoot him. <laughs> I feel like that's an admission of guilt. Listen, what year is this? This is probably like 1901. Oh, okay. See, if it was today, I'd say it's 2021. Women can shoot people too. There you go. <laughs> and for a while afterwards, Oakley returned to performing as a sharpshooter. But in the years that she had been away, the sport had kind of just become a relic of the past. Like before when she tried to return, it was kind of falling out of favor. By this point, it's like, that's what old people like to go watch. I mean, there's still did was, did she ever compete in the Olympics or was that too late? I don't I don't know. She definitely didn't, but I didn't realize that that was an Olympic sport. Yeah, actually, there's a there's a very famous story with a uh, General Patton in the Olympics. He was but is there a women's the sharpshooting team in the Olympics? Maybe not. They may not have had women due to yeah at that point in time. That makes sense. Okay, never mind. So after realizing that sharpshooting is not going to be her path forward, she decided to retire to a life of comfort in Maryland. The problem was, her and her husband, Frank Butler, you know, stayed there for a little less than a year before Annie was like, I don't think I can stay in one place. Like, we've spent our whole lives on the road. Like, let's just keep doing that. That was fun. So they sold their house and hit the road once again. And when the U.S. got involved in World War One, Annie tried once again to get her all-female regiment, but was once again denied. 
So Oakley performed her signature act one last time in 1922 for a charity event in Long Island. And despite her age and the need for glasses, the crowd claimed it was the highlight of the evening. Later that year, Annie Oakley got in a car accident that shattered her ankles and fractured her hip. And from then on, she required a leg brace to walk. Hmm. Annie decided to melt down all of her sharpshooting medals and donate the money to charity. She later died at 66 due to... And this is kind of up in the air, but it is a callback, so I'm going to include it. No one, no one can prove this, but a lot of people speculate that it was due to lead poisoning from all the years of handling lead shot. That makes sense. The bullets were made of lead. They were. Uh, there's, Like I said, there's no proof that that's right. the case, but a lot of people are like, yeah, she probably died of lead poisoning. Yeah. And... I can't tell if this is sad or romantic, but her husband, Frank, stopped eating when she died and died 18 days later. It's both sad and romantic. I know. It's like it's tragic, but it's like, I don't know. So, he, I mean, like I said, he was he was head over heels for her. Like he. Yeah. You know, I honestly think that he was a genuinely like just loving husband. And, you know, he, he died 18 days after she did. And in 1993, Annie Oakley was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, nice. Yeah. See, I, I mentioned I was going to do it. Yeah. So this was this was our coincidentally women's Girl power, power episode. episode. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have one shout out for my section. No, it wasn't very long, uh, but that was on the recommendation of a E. Foltz. Uh, so you know oh. this is this is our oh. this is our second episode. That's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, is that is that Edward Fultz? <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is our second episode. I'm just pointing it out for the listeners that I have taken a listener recommendation. Shoot me a listener recommendation. I'll do it. I won't. Get tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what you want to hear. Michael won't do it. Hmm. Michael doesn't like you. I'm, I'm a like sovereign people. citizen. I didn't sign my driver's license. He didn't I'll do sign the his driver's I license. Do. I. Don't think they let you have the driver's license without signing it. No, they 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 require it now because it's just printed on there. I think before you yeah, actually physically signed the driver's license, but now it's like it's part of the driver's license. Yeah, it's one of the steps in getting a driver's license. Yeah. Well, I mean, guys, technically you don't <laughs> sign the driver's license. You sign like a little pad on the desk. That's true. So I'll say, look. So all of us are sovereign citizens. That's 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 something they printed on there. I didn't ask yeah, them to do that. Yeah, I didn't that. do that. Have y'all seen the video of a young, um, oh, what's his name? Alex, Alex Jones, like he goes in, he goes into the DMV and just like, he's upset about some sort of tax and he just starts yelling at DMV workers. You work for the communist state. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Dude's always been wild. Yeah. Anyway. That has nothing to do with the episode. No, it didn't. We really got off topic there. Uh, I do anyway. have a. I actually have a correction from our last episode. Oh, so in the last episode, at one point, we're talking about the Air Force and the Navy having nukes, and we say, "Oh, well, you know, the the Army never had nukes." Blah 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 blah. And I believe. Let me look this up real quick because I had this didn't written down. Bring the forgot. correction. Oh my god. I didn't even bring the correction. Uh, so, yes, the army did have atomic bombs. And I will tell you why. Because we made the bomb in 45. The Air Force wasn't established till 47. So, actually, the army dropped the first atomic bombs. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. The only the, um, the army is actually the only person who has used an atomic bomb in a time of war. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, we were very wrong. The army has had nukes. And you used nukes. And don't, don't said say we... I'm, I'm like, this is a team. You're the one that said that. We we do this as a team, right? Maybe so you do. 
my mistakes are y'all mistakes. No. Y'all's mistakes are are my mistakes. No. <laughs> okay. Well, I was so wrong. anyway, like I said at the beginning of the episode, we are taking a break for summer. I have got to move, which is exciting. We are going to be a one state podcast. We're all going we to be in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exciting. If you're in Nashville, hit me up. I'll be yeah. there. Um, Give us a holler. We'll go out to Broadway. We'll go to bars and we'll have a bachelorette party. Have sodas because we are all teetotalers. Um, <laughs> well, I've I've converted to Quaker, which may or may not drink. I don't know. Caitlin's got to let me know if, if I'm allowed to drink. Whichever it's Quaker. gonna be, it's gonna be teetotally awesome. It's gonna be teetotally awesome. So yeah. Um, so hey, w- w- really quick, hold on. Uh, we are we are one state podcast, but we have one on West, one in Middle, and one in East Tennessee. Like uh, but Tennessee. Colin, I've up. got I've got bad news. What? Oh. I'm going to be in Central Time. So we're oh, going disgusting. to be converting no. to a Central Time podcast. No. No. Oh my God, yes. No. Yep. Yep. That's not yes. happening. If you don't yep. give me the times in Eastern, One I'm showing up an hour One late or whatever. <laughs> Central Time sucks. All of that being said, uh, time zone you guys suck. have six weeks to send us some podcast ideas, some... Pictures of your dog. Pictures of your dog. Picture of you eating peanut butter for some reason. I don't know. So anyway, uh, yeah, so like I said, we're, we're taking a little break, um, but we will be back, and better than ever, there's an episode that I'm very excited about that we're going to be doing maybe not first, but definitely close to first, that I've been planning plan- for a while. We're going to cover some upset Japanese dudes. We're going to cover some, some what, do you, what, do you, what do you got in the, in the uh, chamber, Michael? Uh, 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 fraud. Some, some healthcare fraud. We're going to cover some fraud. We're probably going to cover some assholes that were just generally assholes. We're going to cover some um, people who are just generally awful. Things that messed up, <laughs> things that were supposed to go one way and went a different way. We'll probably do something like that. We'll probably make some terrible jokes. People probably have made like horrible mistakes, a- falling apart at the seams, and have just been generally awful. Since their inception. Since yeah, their inception. Yeah. That's 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 what it is. Yep. Uh, season three, third time's a charm. Third baby. time's a charm, baby. We got it this time. <laughs> this one will be good, we promise. <laughs> so, all right, guys, it's been fun. Um, we will see you again in the late summer, early fall. And uh, yeah, thanks for being with us. And we will talk to you all later. See ya. Happy, have a happy, happy, happy 4th of July. Yeah, that too. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at I really wish you hadn't. Of course, you can always email us at podcast at i really wish you hadn't.com send us episode ideas send us uh pictures of you with jars of peanut butter don't know why we're doing it send us pictures of you with your dogs uh send us uh comments if we're doing bad if there's something send you think memes. we should change I'll next memes. Season. seriously if there's something you think we should change next season anything you want to see on the podcast please let us know uh, we will not be offended we are very open to making changes because you know we're a year in, but we're still figuring this out. We're still just having fun with it. If you want us to do the it. podcast in a new language, let us know. Yeah. I We don't know any, but we could certainly learn them. <laughs> but, <laughs> all right. And that's, until next time, y'all. I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and Kevin McMahon. We are produced by Colin Moore. Intro music by Attack Story. Our outro music is by Home. Be sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, 
you know, if you marry somebody who's better than you at something, support them because they deserve it. And you know what? You'll probably make a lot more money that way. I'm telling you guys, like, look, it's it's a good business venture. It's fine. Like, you could. It's not gonna embarrass you. Like, I mean, you've got a wife who's badass. Like, that's just that's awesome. <laughs> and as always, don't do anything I wouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs>